Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who or what is the Slender Man? Is he sheer it just an internet urban legend? What is a Tulpa? Hello and welcome to the 746th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And uh, this is our first show of our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben and Yay. these rather thin questions uh, came from my co-host, partner in the por- paran- partner in the paranormal, and to had Paul. And happy Father's Day to you and to all fathers out there. Well, thank you, Ben. Uh, that's uh, very nice. So today we welcome back one of the greatest thinkers and most prolific authors uh, in the paranormal field to take us into a very odd corner, uh, especially of the internet and popular culture. And so we welcome your calls today. The numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And uh, we will also monitor emails as well. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for those. Nick Redfern is a full-time author and journalist specializing in a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, UFO sightings, government conspiracies, alien abductions, and paranormal phenomena. He writes regularly for the London Daily Express newspaper, uh, Fortean Times, Fate Magazine, and UFO Magazine. He has written more than 40 books, including Three Men Seeking Monsters, Strange Secrets, Cosmic Crashes, and the FBI Files. Among his many adventures, Nick has investigated reports of lake monsters in Scotland, vampires in Puerto Rico, werewolves in England, aliens in Mexico, and sea serpents in the United States. Nick is a busy guy. He travels and lectures extensively around the world. Originally from England, he currently lives in Dallas, Texas. His book, The Slender Man Mysteries, and inter, uh, interurban, right, uh, trolley cars, an internet urban legend comes to life, was released earlier this year by New Page Books and will form the core of our discussion today. I must add that the most recent product of Nick's pen or laptop is a lovely forward for my next book, which goes to the publisher in two weeks. Uh, there we are. His website, nickredfordfordian.blogspot.com. That's Nick Redfern, F-O-R-T-E-A-N. .blogspot.com. We'll talk about that, too. So, Nick Redfern, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, guys. Well, thanks for having me on again. Well, it's great to have you. So, let's start off with a very simple, well, maybe not so simple question. Nick, what is an urban legend? Well, basically, an, an urban legend is, is, as it suggests, uh, a legend which, to a significant degree, has come to life, where people people look at it and say well is it true or you know is it just a story but it you know it does have a substantial following um you can find stories like this all around the world you know sort of the the monster that lurks under the local bridge on the edge of town you know and if you go to the bridge and knock on it three times and whistle or something like that you'll see it um Mm. others relate to um like serial killers um escaping from asylums and um lurking in the woods and people going missing and and then of course when people look into some of these stories there's no validity to them then other cases it's well you know maybe so in in essence they're sort of um fringe stories that take on a life of their own and there's this sort of blurring of the lines between facts and fiction so to speak you know, that actually happened in our house, Ben uh, and Nick. Um, one day I came home and, and your mom, Ben, was saying that, uh, oh, uh, one of the, one of the uh, lawyers had uh, picked up the, this, uh, had heard, uh, had had a friend who had a friend 
who lived in Providence, which is a port city, Providence, Rhode Island, and had picked up this, what she thought was a dog, brought it home, and it turned out to be this uh, giant rat from West uh, Absurdistan or something that, that could have killed her. So uh, these are urban legends, I guess, eh, Nick? Yeah, and kind of like, I guess a classic example would be the stories of uh, alligators in the sewers of New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yes. Everybody's heard of these stories. Now, you, you can actually find a couple of newspaper clippings from the 30s where they were actually talking about that long before the, you know, the, the sort of present-day urban legends. But that, that's sort of a perfect example. Everybody's heard these stories about the alligators. Um, as far as you know, solid evidence is concerned. Well, that's very much a, a different issue, you know, but um, but it, it's, a, it's a perfect example of how you can speak to one group of people and another and get a completely different view that, as to what the truth actually is. You know, oh, my Aunt Mary told, you know, my uh, sister's brother's school teacher this story that she saw one of these things 40 years ago, you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So, it's always like an incredibly long chain of people, too. It's not like, oh, yeah, I saw this. It's like, true. oh, yeah, my father's, brother's, mother's, former roommate saw this. <laughs> so so what, what has the Internet done to this phenomenon? Oh, well, well that, that's a good question, because if you look at things sort of pre-Internet era, so we're talking sort of pre-mid-90s, um, a lot of these stories remained localized in various areas because there was really no way to get the story out nationwide or even worldwide you know stories were told in regional books that people would go and buy um or you know might be a little article in the local newspaper that kind of thing but where things are very different today with the internet is obviously you know we have instant access to news the ability to share that news all around the world you know in, in seconds and so what's happened is that urban legends they still exist in pretty much the same motif, but everybody gets to hear them all the time if they choose to, because we have this, you know, this thing called the internet. So, in that sense, I think what we're seeing is is a growth in in urban legend stories, but also a growth in awareness of them as well, and to the point where people become you know, very intrigued by these stories and, and some of them, you know, to the point where they take off, you know, hugely in ways that you would never even have sort of conceived sort of 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's get into the uh, Slender Man, Ben. Oh, well, uh-huh. yes. So uh, let's let it, let us talk about, uh, about the Slender Man. Who or what is the Slender Man? Well, that, <laughs> that very much depends on who you ask. But what, we can, what I can say for sure is that the Slender Man was created in the summer of 2009 by a guy named Eric Knudsen. And this was essentially for a contest um, uh, put on by the people at the Something Awful website. Yeah, and the mean. idea was to see who could come up with the creepiest boogeyman-type character for the Internet era. Now, of course, in, in pre-Internet times, you know, you'd have things like, or creatures, entities like... Uh, Freddy Krueger uh, from the Nightmare on Elm Street films, uh, Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th, and so on and so on, you know, um, Michael Myers from Halloween. And so the idea was, who can come up with something for the internet um, that would be sort of the next generation kind of um, nightmare invader, that sort of thing. And... 
So this contest went ahead on um, something awful, and a lot of people uh, sort of did a lot of cool uh, photoshopped artwork, you know, demonstrating the sort of creatures they were imagining and coming up with. And as I said, the one person whose story uh, really took off big time and imagery uh, was Eric Knudsen's, who created the Slenderman. And for people who don't know, the Slenderman is called the Slenderman because he's this sort of seven to nine foot tall, extremely skinny figure in a black suit, white sh uh, shirt, black tie, a faceless face, no eyes, no nose, no mouth, no ears, just vague shadows where they should be and octopus-type tentacles coming out of its back. And Eric Knudsen planted the, uh, the Slender Man sort of lurking in the woods and the forest and spying on people and watching them. And so the, the imagery really was sort of creepy and memorable to a lot of people. You know, they kind of... It caught their attention. And literally within um, weeks, you had uh, chat lines and forums... Um, debates online all about the Slenderman. Other people started to create their own fictional stories of the Slenderman and posting them online. There was a phenomenally successful um, online show called Marble Hornets, which is like a fictionalized story of the Slenderman um, and, and turned into sort of like a found footage, not a movie uh, situation, but um, endless episodes. And you can find them still on YouTube today. And that has a phenomenal um, following even now um, Wikipedia pages were set up blogs, websites all sorts of things and it, and it went on like this for four or five months where you had this situation of a, a phenomenally huge number of people obsessed with this fictional character the Slenderman and then after that something really weird happened and that's when people started to see, claim to see the Slenderman in the real world well, well, there is no real world first. <laughs> anyway, Ben, go ahead. I actually think it's it's funny that you mentioned how how it it sort of creeped into popular culture. When I was in college, actually, when I was I was doing like I think it was my intro to sound design course. We uh, we were figuring out what to do one day because we we'd like finished everything. We were like in like the last like few weeks of class before exams. So my professor was like, "You guys ever play Slender?" And we were like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" And he was like, "Yeah, he's like, you can download this game off the internet. It's about Slenderman and like, you know, the sound design's great. Let's do it." So we we spent a whole class playing Slender and talking about the sound design of it. And it occurred to me later, I was like, "This is really weird that it's even like wormed its way in." Because there was this website that ex that still exists that's essentially a Wikipedia yep. of uh, creepy pasta. Which is basically just a collection of urban internet legends and stuff like that. Some of them are very well written, actually, mm. and um, it's it's really interesting that you know a lot of these are just sort of like oh they're spooky ghost stories, but there's something different about the Slenderman, and for some odd reason, it's persisted even today. So the the next question I I would probably say is how did it make its way into the real world? What are some some instances that can actually be documented? Okay. Well, I think, to, to answer that question, the first thing to note is the sheer extent to which the phenomenon took off. I mean, gigantically, you know, just hugely. Um, and, you know, the, literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of pr predominantly young kids, you know, sort of and teenagers, um, becoming obsessed with this entire phenomenon. And so, in other words... Um, he was almost primed, I guess, to be seen in some respects or 
obsessed on because so many people were looking into this. Now, in terms of when people started to actually see the Slender Man outside of, you know, playing computer games, um, reading about him, you know, um, online in stories, whether fictional or, or whatever, um, but what happened was that, um, I would say, it's difficult to say what, how the phenomenon began in terms of, um, you know, going from being this fictional entity to um, sort of full-blown entity in the, in the real world. Um, but what we can say is that a lot of the stories began with people sort of waking up in the middle of the night um, with a, a bad case of what's known as sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis for people who don't know it's basically a situation where you wake up and you feel either partially or completely paralyzed and you have this deep sense of dread that there's something either in the bedroom with you or walking towards the bedroom. The closer it gets, the more terrifying the experience gets. And a lot of people, if not most people, at some point in their life will have perhaps one or two experiences like that. Now... Skeptics will say that, or experts, you know, in the dream state will say, well, this is just, this is just the human mind, you know, backfiring and, and, um, and causing, you know, these, these situations to occur. But in saying that, there are some cases, which I talk about, where people claim to have seen the Slender Man in the middle of the night in the bedroom, and there's often this overwhelming odour of, like, sulphur or brimstone, which is classically tied to, um, paranormal activity mm. so a lot of it began like that um but then there were some really weird cases where people claim to have actually seen the slender man or the image of it on their laptop i mean literally kind of staring at them which is like really weird <laughs> well I i'm wondering uh, nick if well first of all i'm a little suspicious of people who not of people but of, of phenomena that occur on the cusp of sleep you know, yeah. uh, because perception is different. Uh, that being said, I'm wondering if real phenomena are not occurring. And pe you know, we love to put labels on things. Uh, people are running into a perceived phenomena or real phenomena, and they're putting the label of Slender Man on that. That seems to be maybe a bit of a simple explanation for some of this. Anyway, what say you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it is actually down to interpretation as well. I mean, when people start talking about the Slender Man and posting imagery online and things like this, you only have to have one person to have a dream of seeing, like, a dark, silhouetted figure in the room, and they'll say, that's the Slender Man. You know what I mean? Um, and that's because the phenomenon is so sort of so visible or has been over time. Um so I think, yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, we have to be very careful how we kind of address these stories. Um, but, I mean, that they are all over the place. For example, I interviewed people like David Weatherly, um, who wrote the Black Eyed Children book, mm. and David generously shared several stories with me where people, in, in some cases, he actually got these, which is also really weird. He got several stories before Eric Knudsen actually created The Slender Man. And the witnesses described to David, like in 2003 or four, um, seeing this sort of tall, thin figure in a black suit lurking in the woods. Um, I got one from a guy in England named Mike Johnson, whose story's in the book, and his experience was in 2001. 
and he shared the story with me in 2005, and I still have his e emails, so, you know, I can prove and show people that, um, you know, we had, like, a dialogue between us, me and Mike, about this um, four years before... Um, before Eric Knudsen created the Slender Man. So, you know, there's there's a lot of odd situations like that surrounding it, but there's no doubt that whether you, you know, whether you believe the Slender Man has come to life or hasn't, the fact is there are a large people, a large group of people out there who do believe it's come to life, you know, and I think that's an important thing to, to note. It's not so much, um, you know, trying to prove it's real or not, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter because they absolutely do believe it's real. Then we get into the notion of the unintentional or intentional creation of thought forms or tulpas. What What do you think about that as an explanation? Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of my sort of, um, one of the subjects I'm sort of particularly interested in, the whole angle of what you said you call thought forms. And for people who don't know what a thought form is, um, imagine sort of a situation where you've got, uh, you know, so let's say tens and tens of thousands of kids and people fixating and thinking about the Slender Man. You know, they're, they're surfing around the net and looking at all the latest cool artwork. Um, they're reading somebody's fictional story of an encounter with the Slender Man. They're taking part in, you know, um, forums and Q and A's, etc., online. And you know, they're, they're becoming really obsessed with it. And it's not just one person or ten per people. You know, it could be 10,000, it could be 30,000, we don't know. And the, the, as we can get out in, into late, you know, there's there are actually some interesting little statistics that suggest that, um, you know, there's a huge following, but like a, an undercurrent of it. Um, but the theory is, you know, sort of like the, the collective hive mind and the imagination essentially bring to life a supernatural equivalent of something that, in essence, didn't really ever exist. So we're talking about tens of thousands of people fixating and obsessing on the Slender Man to the point where this, as I said, this hive mind kind of situation externalizes the imagery and projects it outwardly. And then from there, it takes on its own um, degree of self-awareness. It becomes free of the, the creator, and the creator is us. Um, and now, of course, it, you know, it's a concept, it's a theory, and it's a very big um, concept within Buddhist teachings where yeah. these thought forms are known as tulpas. Um, but, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people who've engaged in doing this, and, um, and, and I do believe it's a, a real phenomenon. I don't understand, you know, the complexities of how we can project something out of the mind and then it can come to life. But that does seem to be what the situation actually is so in other words you know maybe not just the slender man maybe a lot of paranormal entities that are out there are actually created by us albeit unknowingly or inadvertently ben you had a question oh of course i do so that that sort of brings up um you know that that horrible case of those two those two um you know preteen girls who stabbed their friend and uh, were, were saying they were claiming that the Slender Man told them to do it. Now, both those girls, I believe, are in mental institutions now, but it was it was a horrible case. It was all over the news. Now, how do you... Well, how do you, how do you feel about that in light of what, what we were just talking about with tulpas and stuff? Do you think there was actually, like, you know, some sort of 
some sort of contact there? Did they actually interact with a being of some sort? Or, you know, was this just sort of, you know, delirium? Well, I mean, it depends which way you look at it. Now, for the most part, you know, this was basically a, you know, a court case uh, involving two girls who attack one of their friends and for people who don't know um <coughs> excuse me it was the summer of 2014 um in a small uh, suburb of um milwaukee wisconsin called walkershire and basically involved the two young girls um anisa weir and morgan Ma- uh, gazer and they basically took the the approach if you like um to sacrifice and kill one of their friends, or obviously now former friends, um, a girl named Peyton Lutner. And the night before, they had a sleepover, it was a birthday night, and everything was totally normal. They were just hanging out, having a good time. The next day, two girls um, lured Peyton, excuse me, Peyton, to a, um, a wooded area of the local park, and Morgan stabbed her 19 times uh, in the name of the Slender Man because for two reasons. One, they believed it would allow them to become, in their own words, the Slender Man's proxy. And the other reason was they felt that if they didn't um, sacrifice Peyton, then the Slender Man would come after their family, so they had no choice. Now, fortunately... Um, Despite being stabbed 19 times, she actually survived and has now made a, you know, a good, solid recovery, both physically and psychologically as well. Um, and as you said, the, you know, the two girls are now in institutions and won't be out until they're well into to middle age. Now, as I said, you know, at the, at the beginning of this part of the uh, interview, um, it is predominantly sort of, you know, a court case. Um, now and that's how it sort of began, and certainly within within the uh, you know the court proceedings, there was no talk about any kind of possible supernatural aspect to this because oh, that's course, not yeah. that's not how the you know the courts work. You know they they were the police were looking at it from an attempted murder kind of um, approach. But then of course it became clear um, you know when psychologists were brought in that the girls were not sort of looking for a you know a way to get off on a lighter sentence by claiming to be insane or, you know, having psychological conditions. They, they, if you watch the, you know, the original police interviews, which are, you can find now, um, you'll see they were fully believed that by doing this they would, you know, sort of gain favour with the Slender Man and they were going to live with him in this um, creepy mansion in the woods. Now, that, in essence, is the, the story as it relates to, I guess, sort of the, uh, the court case and, you know, this this terrible tragedy but there are admittedly there are some weird aspects to it for example um the uh, the mother of one of the girls said that um she'd actually said she'd seen one of these things like a slender man when she was a little girl tiny girl uh, rather than 14 you know when the attack occurred now a couple of other weird things is that back in 1921 just a couple of miles from where the girls initiated the attack um there was a, 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 the body of a young boy was found in a pool of water, like a deep pool of water, and nobody ever identified him, but he was known as Little Lord Fauntleroy. And the mm. reason why the press gave him that name was because there's a story of that name, um, which is like in the story, he's like this little uh, rich kid. And when they found this little boy, he was wearing very, what were clearly very expensive clothes. So that was the nickname 
they gave him. Now, what's interesting is that a psychic um, actually looked into this case and said that she saw um, the image of this young, poor young boy's body being carried through the woods by this tall, thin man dressed in a black suit. Now, this was just a couple of miles in one direction from where the girls initiated the attack. Um, you know, the, but this was 1921. Now, if you jump forward to 1995, one of the people I interviewed for the book is a guy named Mike Huberty. And Mike um, had an experience with a Slenderman-type creature, uh, <coughs> excuse me, which was actually um, in a wooded area with two friends, and they saw this being sort of six, seven feet tall, shadowy and skinny. And this was like three, this was 1995, but this was like three miles from where the two girls attacked their friend. Huh. Now, that those two cases, you know, both being very close to where the attack in, tw in 2014 occurred, but you've got one from 1921 and one from 1995, then you can understand why some people have taken this case and suggested that, well, yes, it was an attempted murder, but do, is there another component to it as well? So some people, you know, don't view it just as, um, uh, you know, a, a bizarre case of attempted murder. They do view it from the perspective of, by pointing out these other anomalies as well from 21 okay. and, and 95. Yeah, we have to take our break uh, right now, uh, Nick. So uh, well, you were listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful and really getting warm Blackstone River Valley. Uh, and our terrific guest today, Nick Redfern. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Frank Prizens, and I'm host of It's Your Business. Mondays at 2 p.m., we'll explore everything that's involved in business in this community. But you know what? Everything is about business. Tune in on Mondays here on ON Radio. Okay, well, that was that was quick. Uh, we have a number of charities our show was adopted. You can see those on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. There's a link to it, a page with links uh, from there to the various charities. We know all the people who run these charities. They are very reliable, and we'll talk more about them at the end of the show. Meanwhile, let's get back to uh, Nick Redfern. Uh, Nick, before you continue, uh, we have a listener in New Hampshire, Steve, who was sent... A uh, very thoughtful quote, actually, that, that runs into my next question. Demons are like dogs. They come when they are summoned. And my next question to you was, uh, I've often suspected that these, at least some of them, uh, the, of these thought forms are actually parasites. And you know what, what I'm talking about because you've read, you've heard us speak and you've read uh, a lot of material from my next book, which is uh, about partially parasites, uh, which folklore refers to as demons, things of this kind that come and feed uh, upon our negative energy, uh, to put it simply. And I'm wondering if the dinner bell is not being rung by some of these people, particularly in the really negative situation that Ben was talking about with the attempted murder, uh, and that th th these things are coming. And f they, they're, they're, nature's, they're among nature's mimics, in our opinion. They will mimic your aunt. Gertrude or somebody, you know, who who uh, died 20 years before, j just to push the buttons and ring and get you to feed them, so to speak. Uh, could this be the case with some of the Slender Man uh, instances, and uh, particularly with the negative ones? They're actually uh, parasitical entities of some kind pretending to be the Slender Man and then pushing your buttons because of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's important to note there are a number of, 
explanations for what the slender man might be you know the, the thought form slash tulpa being one of them and this other angle of being sort of a mimic um you know i think it's important to to note i mean you know you see people who get into a lot of trouble when they start dabbling with ouija boards you know they mm. want a concert like you said you know your great aunt that kind of thing and um and who's you know i actually do think um you know, there is sort of a realm that we can contact and that can contact us and that is sort of, um, you know, jam-packed with supernatural entities that require, you know, in, in a strange way, almost as if there are sort of rules and regulations that these things have to be sort of invited in, so to speak. Um, but when you start inviting, or um, you know, supernatural entities that may not be what they seem to be, then you're really starting to tread on dangerous territory. And, of course, as soon as these things get the invite to come through, then it's like any situation. It's easy to open a door. It's not so easy to close it again. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, when people say they've seen the Slender Man in the real world, I, I've got some very persuasive cases that lead me to believe that they really have seen the Slender Man. But... That doesn't mean it is a literal slender man, you know, something that can mimic and, you know, sort of parallel what we perceive to be the slender man, you know, would be a very easy way to sort of lure people in and, you know, have them obsessed and then just it all ends in tragedy and disaster, you know. Sure. Well, uh, let's get into some of those cases. But first, uh, before we burn up the hour here, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your website, your books. Uh, and where people can find out more about you. Uh, well, I have a blog called uh, World of Whatever. The address is nickredfern14.blogspot.com. And um, I use sort of a, you know, update it with all the latest stuff I'm doing it a couple of times a week. And um, people can also reach me at Facebook. There's a lot of Nick Redferns, but I'm, I think I'm like the third or fourth one down on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, reach me at uh, Twitter, Nick Redfern UFO. And, um, you know, I do a lot of lecturing and uh, conferences. I'll be speaking at the, um, the Mothman Festival in September of this year in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is always a good one. Oh, that's wonderful, yeah. Uh, tell us a bit about the, the book, uh, Slender Man Mysteries, uh, Internet Urban Legend Comes to Life, uh, any, anything we haven't mentioned on the show so far. Well, basically, it's a study of, uh, like a full-length 300-page study of how and under what circumstances the Slender Man went from being this um, internet creation slash urban legend to something that people claim to have seen in the real world. And in between all of that, there's sort of demonstrable evidence of how in just getting involved in this subject can just cause people to sort of uh, plunge into, you know, mental states and, you know, psychological conditions and, and just tragedy and disaster and even death. Yeah. Okay. Well, give us some examples, if you would, please, Nick, uh, some cases. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the creepiest one that, uh, ones that I actually got uh, came from a woman named Lacey, uh, a trainee uh, flight attendant, when I interviewed her. And Lacey told me, and she was actually very open, you know, and um, honest about how deeply she got into all this. And this at the time, she was like 20. And uh, she's always had an interest in sort of the paranormal, more along sort of the like, ghost stuff and things like that, rather than, say, UFOs or cryptozoology. And she, by her own admission, got very obsessed 
in in relation to the Slender Man. Um, she sort of uh, printed off a, a bunch of uh, artwork and um, posted all on the on the rooms of her, her office. You know, she really turned in her office room into like a almost like a shrine to the Slender Man, which is probably not a good thing to no. do. You know, mm. and. Um, so she had all this artwork, she was printing off um, stories and taking part in forums and things like that. And this went on for a very, very long time. And she did admit, you know, that it did sort of take over her life to the point where sometimes, you know, on a Friday night, a friend, you know, you, 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 are we going to go out tonight? And she said, no, you know, and she'd make, them re- make up an excuse, but it was actually because she wanted to do more research. And, you know, when you start then isolating yourself from your friends, in the name of the Slender Man, that's sort of going down a slippery path as oh, well. Yes. But she told me of three experiences she had. Now, one of them, she said that when she was putting her laptop late one night into sleep mode, um, she said she saw very, very, for like a microsecond, what looked like the faceless face of the Slender Man on her laptop. And this was followed by another experience uh, some days later when she saw sort of like the skinny image and the long arms and the tentacles of the Slender Man also on the laptop. And this sort of really freaked her out. And, you know, I, I sort of said to her, I, I absolutely sure what she saw. She said, I know exactly what I saw, and it was on the screen of the laptop. And she kind of then... Um, all of the lights, so to speak, and t- literally threw everything out. She destroyed all the files, took all the pictures down, and walked away from it all successfully. But she told me how she felt that in her apartment, it was just as if, like, a, you know, a dark atmosphere had sort of descended on it, which she couldn't put her finger on, but it was like when she would get home from work, it was just a sense that there was, there was something in the apartment, or there had been. And, um... And she said, like, a couple of weeks after dropping all of this, it was gone, and there was nothing else to it. Now, that's a paranormal angle of sort of how it can affect people's lives. There are other examples, for example, uh, one being uh, just a week after the um, the event in Waukesha, Wisconsin, there was another case, uh, one in Ohio, and then another one, <coughs> excuse me, in Florida. In one case, um, well, in both cases, the, the girls who initiated these attacks had obsessions with the Slender Man. One uh, stabbed uh, her mother and fortunately didn't kill her. And the other girl actually burned the family house down to the ground. Mm. And um, both of them had journals, um, so diaries talking about the Slender Man and how much they resented their families and things like this. Now, the, the most... Uh, tragic one of all um, occurred just a couple of years later in Las Vegas, Nevada when a guy named Jared Miller and his wife um, gunned down two police officers in Vegas and um, also a man in Walmart and they were gunned down by the police and killed um, to prevent you know anybody else from dying at the hand of their guns now it turns out that um, Jared Miller and his wife both had deep obsessions with the Slenderman. They even went to sort of like Slenderman themed parties. They were heavily into like cosplay, and um, and they uh, and she, his wife, was sort of heavily into the whole Harley Quinn character, the, the comic book character. And so they lived in this sort of uh, strange world, which was filled with um, sort of online 
characters, superheroes, and the Slender Man. And, and again, for reasons we don't understand, but when people like the two girls, you know, in Walkershire, the two girls who one tried to start or tried to kill her mother, the other one burned the house down, Jared Miller and his wife, you know, having this obsession with the Slender Man, killing two cops, getting killed themselves. Um, there's really no kind of urban legend type creature other than the Slender Man that provokes this overwhelming degree of of death, tragedy, and, and disaster. Yeah. Now, some people may say there's a, you know, a psychological aspect to this. Somebody might say there's a supernatural aspect to it. But whichever way you go with, or perhaps you go with both sides to it, the fact is that where the Slender Man kind of surfaces, bad things do happen. Mm -hmm. And you just don't seem to find that with things like, you know, it, you know, just other urban legends or things that are maybe coming to life. It's, but with the Slender Man, it's just complete disaster, you know. It's, I'm thinking, too, of, of other... Well, I, I'm thinking of archetypes. You know, the, the Freudian, not Freudian, a, a Jungian term, uh, Dr. Carl Jung from <clears throat> Days of Yore, who would say that, that there are certain images or figures or even stories uh, from the human, the, the common human experience, what he would say, the collective unconscious, you know, the, the non-local memory of the human race. Uh, and, and they keep cropping up. Uh, in forms of, uh, for, well, in the paranormal sense, in the forms of the, the man in the checkered shirt, for example, yeah. whom I've seen yeah. twice, once in Montreal, Canada, once in Florida, on cases, and uh, that sort of thing, the little girl, uh, blonde girl with flowers in her hair, you know, very non-threatening, but usually results in disaster. And perhaps the Slender Man could be added to that, um, to that to pantheon, so to speak. Um, but I don't know, it's just it's extremely intriguing. Can you give us another case? Yeah, I mean, w w one thing I would say to you, just before I get to another case, um, would be this issue of, um, you know, archetypes. I mean, for example, although Eric Knudsen created the Slender Man, by his own admission, he was uh, inspired, deeply inspired, by certain paranormal things in the real world, like the Men in Black. That's where the mm. black suit came from. Yeah. He was very inspired by H.P. Lovecraft's work, ah, which is where he got the... Yeah, you know, for the, the tentacles um, yes. coming out of the Slender Man back, you know. But also, uh, the faceless um, face of the Slender Man was inspired by creatures that Lovecraft created called the Night Gods. The Night Gods. Yes. Yeah. 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 I wish now, I'd worn a black tie today. What's that? I wish I'd worn a black tie today. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. Uh, any any um, uh, reports of uh, Moth, uh, Mothman? Slender Man with bow ties, I wonder. But um, no, yeah. but, but that's true. I've not seen any yet. But um, okay, well, let me know what you do. Uh, but, I will. Yeah. Well, everyone knows that bow ties are the least threatening article of clothing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. True. But, so, um, but what's interesting is that um, you know there is this school of thought. I'm sure you know that things that Lovecraft actually didn't sort of create these images out of his mind. That he was sort of literally kind of astrally traveling to realms, you know, beyond ours and seeing these things and then kind of being un almost like unknowingly inspired uh, by realities beyond ours rather than just the imagination. So, you know, in that sense, you could make a case that, yes, Eric Knudsen created the Slender Man, but he was inspired by potentially supernatural things that H.P. Lovecraft 
put into the public domain, so to speak. Well, yeah, but, any, uh, anything is possible. I can imagine, uh, obviously I never knew Lovecraft, I'm, I was too young, but he uh, would have, I think, some pungent comments for that uh, particular point of view. <laughs> But nevertheless, I mean, who knows? I mean, unknowingly inspired? You know, probably. I mean, we're all part of I, mean, I happen to think Jung was onto something. I think we're all part of the collective unconscious. Yeah. So there it is. But, so, I mean, well, you ask about another case. I mean, th- this sort of really is one of the creepiest of all. One of the people I interviewed for the book um, was Olaf Phillips, who is the, he runs the Paranoia magazine, which is like a conspiracy cover-ups type magazine. Sure sounds like and, it. <laughs> well, Olaf told me how when this whole Slenderman thing kicked off in 2009, he sort of, you know, vaguely followed it. But then, like me, when people started to claim to have seen it in the real world and there were all these thoughts about tulpers and thought forms, then he kind of really sat up. And when the, you know, you had the attack from the, on the two girls, uh, by the two girls, I should say, in Walkershire in 2014... Um, he sort of broached this issue with his with his young son and uh, said, you know, do you know about this thing, the Slender Man? And Olaf told me how his son went really quiet and said, well, why are you asking? What do you know about it and all this? And but it was over time, um, his son finally opened up and said to him words to the effect of, well, everybody in the class at school is into the Slender Man stuff. Hmm. And he's like, well... I didn't know about, you You know, and he was kind of a bit disturbed, you know, that his son was looking into this angle of the Slender Man with all these sort of tragedies around it. And he said, he said to his son, you know, well, you didn't tell me. And his son basically said words to the effect of, well, this is our thing. This isn't for the parents or the old folks. Uh-oh. This is something for us. And he, and as Olaf dug more and more into his son's story and, you know, asking, not questioning him, you know, in like grilling him, but just having a father-to-son conversation, it, it basically came out that within the school there were, you know, endless numbers of kids massively obsessed with the Slender Man, but they'd all, it was almost like a little secret society where they'd all agreed, we're not going to tell mom and dad, not going to tell the parents, not going to tell the old folks, this is our thing. And then, and that's why uh, Olaf's son, you know, sort of reacted a little bit, well, why do you want to know? And, of course, this brought up the issue with, in Olaf's mind. Well, if this is my son and he's talking about this, how many other sons and daughters are there all around the United States where they've all decided, let's not tell the parents what we're doing, you know? So that that's like a really, again, it's not a paranormal angle, but it's a really creepy side to the story when it you is. potentially have endless numbers of kids you know sort of you know almost like a conspiratorial fashion um discussing this and talking about it and making sure no one else finds out you know it's it, it is again it's like almost like a unique aspect of the slender man phenomenon that you don't get elsewhere as a parent that is really creepy ben you and your wife aren't into this uh, slender man no no oh, you no. would tell me wouldn't you maybe <laughs> oh in honor of Father's Day, I'll make it a solid. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. Boy, I don't know. Uh, but the the other, uh, have, you, have you got? I know that you're into. You're a paranormal renaissance man, Nick. You're into all areas of this, and you're right beautifully about all aspects of the paranormal. Do you feel that um, the the other archetypes that I mentioned, if this is an archetype, might be related to the Slender Man? Because they do tend to to come up in uh, various cultures. In other words, as cultures advance, sometimes the labels 
and uh, yeah. the sightings will change as they have in, U- in the UFO world. That sort of thing. Well, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, when it comes to the Slenderman, there's, there's no doubt that there are some similarities between the Slenderman, how he looks, and sort of the, the, the men in black. You know, I mean, with the men in black, I'm not talking about Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones in the movies. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the real reports that the movies were based on, you know, they're very different, these sort of pale-faced, ghoulish MIB, which is what the, the reality is, you know. And, you know, you can cross over with things like the Shadow People and the Hat Man... And they all sort of vaguely fit into this um, same category with the Slender Man. But, I mean, one of the things I point out in, in the book is, you know, the similarities between the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin, which is, you know, this old kid's folktale going back centuries, uh, this little town in Germany, um, where this creepy piper plays this supernatural flute and hypnotizes the children and takes them away into the woods and mm. in the original story you know he's described as tall and strange looking and dressed in dark clothes and um so yeah you can kind of find archetypes like this you know throughout the world and i think um you know are we dealing with archetypes are we dealing with mimics are we dealing with thought forms or in my, in my view, it's probably a combination of things. Um, but, I mean, one of the strangest stories that I talk about in the book uh, revolves around um, a comic book writer uh, named Alan Moore. And for people who don't know, Alan Moore created uh, quite a few sort of well-known fictional figures in the comic book world. For example, he created the V for Vendetta character which was turned into a big movie yeah. and also the the constantine character this sort of um demon assassinator um that was turned into a movie with keanu reeves now alan moore has gone on record as saying that when he was creating the or in his mind the image of the uh, the constantine character which i said was played by keanu reeves he envisaged how his hair would look his face his build his clothing his style his his manner, his character. And Alan Moore spent a lot of time doing this. And then he said one day, at the height of, you know, trying to create the image in his mind, he was having lunch at a restaurant on the River Thames in London, England, when he said he saw coming towards him what was, without doubt, the the image that he created of, of, the, of Constantine mm-hmm. in every single sense. And he said the character sort of stood just before him and gave him this almost like a conspiratorial, creepy grin, and then walked off. But Alan Moore said, you know, that's what, what he saw. He saw the, a sort of real-world version, briefly, of the fictional um, Constantine that he had been sort of fixating on and creating in the, you know, the period leading up to this encounter. Well, we, so, you know, uh, you could apply that to the Slenderman phenomenon as well, something along those lines. Well, this is where you begin to wonder, because of these sorts of synchronicities, as they're called. I mean, we run mm-hmm. into them all the time, you run into them all the time, and one wonders about the uh, one possibility being the holographic theory, that that we, we do, I suppose, really create these things, or it's being projected to, to test us, or some, there are all sorts of variations on that. But uh, I, I did want to ask, Nick, uh, are there any other internet created figures like the slender man or even unlike the slender man who have been uh taking their place in urban legends since the dawn of the internet that you know of um i wouldn't say one that's taken the slender man's place but i think sort of 
in in second place, so to speak. Yeah. Oh no, I meant I taking play- taking its place on the internet uh, with Slenderman. You know, other characters. Oh, the same I see. No, not really. I mean, the closest thing I can think of in terms of you know something that um, possibly began on the internet in terms of you know publicity, um, which has a following, although not as as big, would be the black eyed children phenomenon, mm. um, which interestingly enough, you know, sort of kicked off in the late nineteen nineties, um, where people claimed to have seen these sort of pale faced kids with completely black solid eyes and. You know, they would try and find ways to get invited into people's homes, and uh, which sort of parallels the old vampire stories. You know, they have to be in, invited in. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised when there was this sudden growth in the early 2000s of black-eyed children stories, if regardless of whether or not there's a genuine phenomenon, which I think there is, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that sudden surge could have been due to something like, you know, mimics or or thought forms, or a combination of both. Um, you know, and maybe that's why people, you know, there's a, somebody sees Bigfoot and then dozens of people see it. You know, <laughs> maybe we're unknowingly, the excitement and, you know, the thought, we might just see it. Well, yeah, you, you think like that, you're going to see it, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's all sorts of odd things that have, that have popped up through various stories on the Internet. There are a few really good ones. Some of them actually oddly have to do a lot with tunnels and bridges like um mm. the, like the goat man of west virginia or you know the or texas as nick has uh, or texas talked there's, about on the show there's, there's a couple of different goat men that are that are hanging around yes. there in, yeah, in they, various they, they seem to butt in here and there yes 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 there's also the bunny man there's there's a bu- there's a lot of them there's actually like a lot of really interesting ones but they all either either center on some weird fixation on kidnapping children or bridges and tunnels or underground structures. Mm. Well, it's funny you should say that because, well, not funny, I mean, because, you know, it, it's, it's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Um, one of the very first investigations I ever did as a teenager um, in central England was a case involving a kind of like a Bigfoot type creature in central England, which is absurd. There's no way a Bigfoot could live in England and not be found, you know. Yeah. Um, but it became known as the Man Monkey, and the story goes back to the 1870s, and, uh, and that's what they were calling it back then. People were seeing this. It was more like a large oversized chimpanzee rather than like a gorilla type animal Hmm. but it was seen on bridge 39 of this old canal and if you go there it hasn't really changed much today it's sort of very shrouded in trees and woods and kind of spooky atmosphere um but people you know only ever reported seeing the creature at the bridge late at night and um you know i mean um there's a lot of sort of theories um you know, as to why that would be the case. Now, if you've ever, if you've read uh, Merrily Harper's book, Alien Big Cats, uh, which is an English book, um, she talks about places like bridges and stiles and crossroads being sort of like what she calls liminal zones between, you know, realities. Mm. You know, you sort of almost, you get on an old bridge and it kind of feels like you're suddenly transformed into, you know, somewhere else briefly. And um, so maybe that, that maybe the bridge aspect sort of tied in with these liminal zones um, would allow for more supernatural activity in these very places rather than anywhere else. Yeah, possibly. Uh, I would refer you to uh, one of our earlier shows, I can't remember which one, with Nick, uh, but also our book Behind the, Mar- the Paranormal 2, 
Ben and I wrote together has that very story in, that, that Nick gave us of, of the man monkey. Nick, I'm afraid we're out of time. Wonderful show as it is. You make us uh, always think of going to two to three hours because of the conversations we have. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. And uh, we'll be in touch off the air. Thank you so much for a great show. All right. Thanks, guys. See you later. Okay. Bye. Ben, take it away. Oh, I will. So, uh, uh, Wednesday, July 11th, uh, which is our, our sort of first event back on the road, will be at the uh, Far Out Diner in Dover, New Hampshire at 6.30 p.m. to uh, join the Talking Saucer Meetup Group, which I will be there. Uh, we, we won't make uh, any special presentation or anything, but we will be hobnobbing with UFO experiencers and enthusiasts. Uh, and we'll uh, certainly enjoy the great food at this UFO-themed diner, including those saucer cakes. Yeah. <laughs> so, this ev- uh, the evening is sponsored by Seacoast Saucers of New England. And then on Saturday, July 21st, Ben and I will be back at the the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, based on our 27th book of the same subtitle. That's Behind the Paranormal 2 I just mentioned. This is free and open to the public, but registration is required, so go to the danburylibrary.org site and click on the View Calendar link and look for July uh, 21st, I should say, and you can sign up for that. On Labor Day weekend, September 1st and 2nd, we'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. Along with ourselves, speakers will include Richard Dolan, Kathleen Marden, Peter Robbins, and others you've heard of on the show, heard on the show. Uh, Our subject on Saturday will be Aliens and Exorcism, Why Do Quote-Unquote Possessed People Report UFO Experiences? On Sunday, we'll do our third annual on-location broadcast from Exeter Town Hall with a panel of the speakers and the live audiences. That's Always a lot of fun for everybody except Ben, who has to kind of set it up. And uh, well, I mean, it's it's the time. adrenaline rush is pretty fun. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, this event is a great annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis Club of Exeter, uh, Ex- Exeter area Kiwanis Club, uh, who support a lot of children's charities in Southern New Hampshire. Last year, it raised over nine thousand dollars. Find out more at ExeterUFOFestival.org. Uh, also, the 2018 MUFON Symposium, MUFON Mutual UFO Network. Uh, takes place at the Crown Plaza, Philadelphia, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, in Je- July 27-29. Uh, ben and I aren't speaking this year, but it's a great event, and it's rarely on the East Coast. So check it out, MUFONSymposium.com. Then on Columbus Day weekend, on October 5th and 6th, uh, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Not sure about the topic yet, but stay tuned, and all three of our panelists from last week's show will be speaking there as well. You can find out more at NewEnglandUFO.com. And don't forget, if you want to find out more about any events that we're doing, you can go to BehindTheParanormal.com for that as well. Okay. Uh, and our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is finally available as an e-book on Amazon Kindle and Apple iTunes, and it's available in stores as well. So next week, uh, June 24th, uh, we'll welcome North Carolina researcher Mary Joyce to talk about some pretty weird doings in the mountains up there, which it's already a pretty weird place in the Appalachians, but yeah. hey, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear more about it. Nice for hiking. Anyway, we leave you this afternoon with some wisdom from American author Roy T. Bennett. Don't be pushed around by the fears in your mind. Be led by the dreams in your heart. So, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.